0: This is Christopher Cardenvicus, and you are listening to Paper Cuts. This episode was recorded in July as part of a series of Zoom panel discussions held in conjunction with Transformer, an exhibition space here in DC. This spring and summer, I had the honor to work with Transformer, and specifically the exhibitions and program coordinator, Katie Lee, on their annual peer critique and mentorship program titled Exercises. This year, the 17th Annual Exercises program focused on zines. Um, I had the ability to work with six artists and publishers. Uh, the selected artists were Ayana Zayer Cotton, Jennifer Lillis, Athena Naylor, Late Comeback Press, which is composed of Rachna Sung and uh, Caroline Kim, Evian Roberts, and Julie Shi. Of course, the pandemic necessitated a very different environment for the program to take place than originally planned, and we held all of our meetings exclusively through Zoom. Um, a number of the artists that participated in this program I have not actually met in person, just in the virtual space of the computer. At the end of our four-month period, Transformer and Papercuts held a series of three Zoom panel discussions and recordings each featuring two different artists from the program. This conversation is with Ayana Zayer Cotton and Jennifer Lewis. As a special co-host, we have longtime friend of Papercuts, Adriana Mansalve from Homie House Press. This is a presentation of a conversation that was originally held over Zoom, so all of the happy Zoom accidents also feature. We eventually got everyone in the audience to mute their microphones, but there are moments where we get to hear about the audience meal plans, and when the carpets are being cleaned, and so on and so forth. At this point, we all have a variety of Zoom stories to to share. Anyways, this is Paper Cuts.
1: Joining us tonight for our E17 panel discussion. I'm Katie and I'm Transformers Exhibitions and Programs Coordinator. And I'm really excited to be joined by two of our participating artists, Ayana Zair Cotton and Jennifer Lillis, who have both produced such strong and interesting work during this program. Uh, we're also accompanied by E17 lead mentor, Christopher Cardin as well as uh, E17 guest mentor, Adriana Monsalve. For those who may not be familiar, E Seven uh, Exercises for Emerging Artists is Transformers' annual peer critique and mentorship program that is designed to stimulate and encourage the participating I artists. all of the carpet,
2: and I cut open.
1: They create new work and receive feedback amongst themselves and from visiting artists. Exercises focus on a different medium each year, some previous ones being on uh, social practice or sculptures, uh, discourse, uh, fabric art, and video art. Uh, This year's focus was on zines and DIY publishing. Transformer invited seven artists to participate in this year's program and we all met via Zoom between the months of March through June. The majority of these meetings also featured a diverse roster of guest mentors whose artistic practices all involved the scenes and publishing, and they all provided insight and feedback to each of the artists. In every meeting, the artists shared their progress on their works, which were initially small ideas that eventually blossomed into fully realized projects. These zines will be available for sale on Transformers' online website starting August 1st, which is also when Transformers' storefront exhibition for this program will begin. At this point, I ask all of you to turn off uh, your video and mute yourselves. Uh, We will have a brief Q and A session near the end of the panel. So feel free to type your questions into the chat as you think of them, or you can uh, directly send them to me. Awesome. All right.
0: Great, so yeah, everyone, thank you for joining us. My name is Christopher Cardenbicus. I'm an artist and educator here in DC. I'm also the co-host of Paper Cuts, which is a zines podcast and website. Um, You can listen to the podcast anywhere where you gather your pods, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Um, And as Katie said, this is now a live recording of our podcast. So please make sure that your microphones are muted. If you do have questions for Ayana or Jennifer, please type them into the chat and we'll read them out at the end of the program. Um, I also just want to take a minute to thank Transformer for this amazing experience with the E17 program and with all of our participants. Uh, Katie has done a tremendous job co-organizing this whole endeavor over a course of time where the conditions were changing rapidly and dramatically. And I'd also like to thank Victoria, uh, the founder of Transformer, for all the work that she's done to support our artists. Um, as part of the program today, I'm joined by Adriana Monsalve as my co-host for Paper Cuts tonight. And our guests are Ayana Zayar Cotton and Jennifer Lillis. And I will now introduce everyone before we really just jump into the program. Um, Adriana Monsalve is an artist, bookmaker, and educator located in the DMV. She is the co-founder of Homie House Press, a skeleton bones crew of femmes creating, publishing, and reclaiming their space and power in the photo book medium. Uh, Adriana has also joined me as co-host now a couple times on Paper Cuts. So Adriana, thank you for being here and also thank you for your participation as a mentor in this E17 program.
3: Happy to be here. It's been so great to see new artists and like see how they're engaging with the book form and I love all these things. So it's a thrill.
0: Yeah, it's been a really fun time. Um, I will also take the take just one second to talk a little bit more about the program because we did meet every week with our six artists and publishers to talk about the zines that they were creating. And almost every week we were joined by a new mentor. Um, So Adriana was able to join us during one of these meetings and talk to each artist about the work that they were developing. Um, Two of those artists that are joining us uh, are Ayana and Jennifer. And Ayana zayar Cotton is a transdisciplinary artist visualizing and collectively crafting a post-work future. Her research has manifested in her work via independent publishing Virtually, virtually teaching software engineering to students worldwide and an experimental fashion line as a platform on labor studies and aesthetics. As an artist, designer, and software engineer, Iona Fields Educator is a title that most resonates with the full possibilities of her mediums, goals, and practice. As part of the E17 program, she developed CEDA Syllabus, which is a fill in the blank syllabus as an unlearning framework. Designed as a worksheet, the syllabus is inspired by the contemplation-inducing work of Audre Lorde. The syllabus helps participants organize and share what they currently need to ask and read with the intention of making unlearning and engaging our radical imagination a public social activity. Jennifer Lillis, our other participant for the evening, is a multidisciplinary artist that explores the theme of transformation in the function and materiality of objects through the ritualization of her creative practice. Jennifer is also normally my co-host and co-producer of Paper Cuts. So over the next two Wednesdays, Jennifer will be swapping positions on the microphone and joining me and asking questions instead of being grilled and answering questions. The zine that she produced as part of E17 is called Unearthed. It is a poetic exploration of the function, intention, and transformation of art within the context of ritual and sacred spaces. This is a guide of the witness as they embark on their journey of unearthing. So again, Jennifer and Ayana, thank you for joining us. Um, this is a great mini reunion. It was yeah. fun to see you all before we really started and just kind of catching up a little bit from our E17 program. So the way this is going to run is that Paper Cuts is generally a very conversational program. I do have uh, a question for Ayana and for Jennifer individually. And then from there, the four of us will really be talking in conversation. So again, as things are coming up, if you in the audience have a question, please type it into the chat and we'll read it um, at the end of the program. This whole thing will last about an hour total. So first question. Is going to Ayana. Um, and I was really struck from our first meeting uh, with how you were interested in the concept of what the syllabus is and its ability to transmit information in a clear format and with clear intentions for actions. It's density of information. And I'd say that one of the things that I really appreciated about our conversations in our sessions over the past few months is the sheer amount of research you brought to the table every week and how many ideas and intentions you are able to compress into the objects and zines you proposed. The CETA syllabus, rooted in black radical imagination, is designed in a very generous way. It provides room for the individual working with it to define their own terms and goals, and it also strips the syllabus down to a spare functionality. CETA is a syllabus of unlearning, and the visual elements of deconstruction are worked into the design of the print itself. You said Audre Lorde and Octavia Butler during the course of CETA's development. Um, can you trace some of your influences and sources in how you developed this piece? And also, please feel free to hold it up for our audience. I know it won't transmit into the audio medium of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's beautiful.
2: Thank you, Christopher. And I'm, I'm so, so honored uh, to be in conversation with you and Jennifer. Um, uh and Adriana as well. Uh, e seventeen was so fun and and really kind of expanded um, my approach to printmaking and and, and making zines. Uh, as someone who's been teaching for the last two two plus years, um, I've been thinking of like about what that can look like outside the classroom. And um, for me, uh, design has really really uh, provided a framework for me to continue learning even outside of school um, and even think about how I teach. Um, so this is the syllabus. Um, this is one way it can be viewed. So I thought about different ways it could be viewed on a table. So I have like this horizontal view here um, with an Audre Lord cutout uh, or kind of rip out that I did. Um, the front says um, the syllabus is a framework a device for your unlearning pursuits, and then on the back, depending on how you have it placed on the table, it can also be vertically um, placed, and uh, it says organize your radical imagination, Um, and it says the CETA syllabus is for independent or collective study. Um, And when thinking about my references, as you mentioned, I'm like, there's there's so many kind of books and, and folks I've been pulling from. Uh, Bell Hooks is definitely one of them. So I have like all these books that I wanted to reference, um, but Bell Hooks, Teaching to Transgress is definitely one of them. Adrian Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy um, is definitely one of them. Again, going back into this thinking of, of frameworks, creating frameworks as liberation and frameworks for us to like be together. Um, and Education is another one uh pedagogy of, oppress, of of the oppressed is another one as well um but i would say that's kind of like the scholars and the literature that inspired me but what i've been seeing recently from my community i think has inspired me um even more uh, especially since right in the middle of that exercises that that we were doing um the black lives matter protests happened and um I feel like there was definitely a charge in this new media that I've been seeing online. Uh, And the new media I've been seeing is educational media. I've been seeing people post guides. I've been seeing people use um, zines as textbooks. I've been seeing people going on IG Live and using that as classrooms and even Zoom calls as well. Um, And there were so many resources coming out, reading lists and all these different things. Uh, So I really wanted to present a framework um, that we, so we can organize all of this, all of these different things we're we're thinking about and moving towards in this moment, Um, right? So when you open the zine, when you open the syllabus, there is an Audre Lorde's questionnaire to oneself. um, And there's four questions, but the one I love the most is, if we've been socialized to respect fear more than our own needs for language and definition, ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen to me if I tell this truth? So answer this today and every day. Um, So there's things like this in it. And then when you open it up, there is a place for you to note your research question, um, a summary of study, some potential research projects, um, some keywords, learning goals, required resources, and even a place for you to note some accountability partners. Um, So so when you talk about the, when you ask about the references, uh, really it's like, all of the people that I've been reading uh, through throughout college and and post-college, but then also my peers who have been kind of producing this new media where we're kind of answering this call um, um, of of, of everything we need to learn, unlearn right now um, and and giving us a a framework to do so.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, So Jennifer, I'm gonna ask you your first question now, if you're ready.
4: Do I have an option? No.
0: Not, not really. We're moving cool. we'll into the <laughs>
4: problem here.
0: <laughs> so the zines that you've produced during the session, and I should say you produced two zines as part of this, um, and they act as a way to reapproach the work you did during your thesis year, your recent MFA from George Mason University. And your thesis work explored ideas around personal rituals and developed, and you developed a studio practice that recontextualized banal or refuse items to lend them a personal charge, a weight, or a significance. You crafted a series of rituals around the production of physical works and installed them in the gallery in such a manner that it was both a process of initiation for the viewer and the visitor of the gallery as well as the documentation of your own self-created and partly obscured initiation sequence. In these zines you've produced, how do you open up your practice to a new initiate in this cult of Jennifer Lewis?
4: (laughs) Cult a pretty intense way to phrase it, but um, yeah. So basically for my thesis exhibition, I was really focused on the function of the rite of passage. And as you said before, I was really kind of like, honing in my passage through found objects and kind of like recontextualizing these objects and materials and so on. Um, what I wanted to do in this program was actually kind of create like a pocket guide for a viewer if they were to be going through their own initiation using like my tools that I had as a guide. And so um, basically, like you said before, I now have two printed publications I have well, to step back, I have two out of three. And so if we look at rite of passages, they are broken down to three phases where you have the first phase, which is the like loss or the death of the former self, the second phase, where it's the acquiring of new knowledge, and the third phase where you are acquiring, you're taking this knowledge that you've acquired, and you're stepping out into a new world as a new person. And so um, the goal for my, like, publication project is actually have three zines, each zine representing one of the three phases. And so um, I was able to successfully do two out of the three. I was able to print the first one extraction myself. Me as a maker, I like to produce objects. And then for my second book, Passage, I was able to, with the help of Transformer, actually outsource the printing to a Resograph printer out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania called Resolve. And so um, I guess I can go ahead and show and tell on my screen and so on. This is the first book of extraction. And so when I'm going through and kind of thinking about my thesis exhibition, that is an event that has already happened. How can I kind of re-approach this work, kind of cannibalize this information and then bring it back together into a book object that is introducing the reader to something that didn't actually experience the first time, right? And so on. as I was working through my process and kind of designing my books, I was taking documentation for my thesis exhibition and kind of scanning it, cropping it, and then making these really abstracted images of the photographs from my thesis show with some of the writing from my thesis paper. And so with the George Mason MFA program, we are required to have an exhibition and a dissertation. And so this is a really nice opportunity to kind of take these two different entities and bring it together into one object, which isn't being broken out into three objects. And so um, the other thing that I really like about this too is for those of you who actually saw the thesis exhibition, this is actually ground and cool. but the way it's been so deconstructed and abstracted, it can be read in so many different ways, right? And so with this first book, I was kind of trying to create this space of kind of going through these dark passageways and it's kind of something that I did in the exhibition too. And so kind of having a very dark, dense object that really is just a lot of like textual information with some of the writing that I personally did in my paper, which included a lot of poetry and poetry though was also in the exhibition. And then for the second book passage or this acquiring of new knowledge, I actually introduced the reader to some of my actual research I did in my paper. And so um, you'll see a lot of actual like information that I'm introducing to people, talking a lot about sacred spaces like caves, thinking about the materiality of these objects and kind of hinting to the reader where these objects came from without actually telling them. And so kind of leaving the reader and myself and as they're kind of going through the reading experience very open so they can kind of fill in the blanks themselves. Again, like reading information and something that was really cool about this, and me as a producer myself, I do a lot of like hands-on producing. Like I do a lot of responses with the printing process, but working with an outsourced printer, they kind of like needed my material and they had a lot more experience working with photographic images. And so I was actually able to take photographs of my thesis work, sent it to Resolve, and I was like, I have two colors in mind. I kind of have an idea what I want it to look like, but I don't know how to do it myself. So they're actually able to teach me how to do that. And so being able to kind of really edit files through Photoshop so that and isolating, like isolating colors and separating colors and stuff like that. But um, being able to kind of get these two tones with black and flat gold. And so um, that is the second book. And then the third book, which is what I'm working on right now. Yeah, resolve was been fantastic. <laughs> but um, the third book is called Shift and Being. I'm in the process of actually kind of working on the digital files to print. And so um shift in being, which is kind of what i learned from this whole experience, is the function of is the function animation of objects through the, through the use of them in rituals, right, and so on. There will be a lot of images of the actual like things that I'm kind of editing out with the photographs in these books and a little bit more information kind of like how I'm reacting and responding to those objects through the editing and designing of the book and how I was actually responding to them in the thesis show that yeah <laughs> yeah thank you yeah
0: um before i jump in with another question adriana do you have anything you want to uh ask either artist sure.
3: um so i'll start with ayana um i'm really curious of the with the no how it's all coming together as a syllabus and all these things and like no, it's super timely. And um, also all the all the inspo and motivations behind it is like very much I feel like everything that I'm drenched in right now too. Um so I'm really curious about the sida, like the the word. Yeah. I, I, I almost wanna
2: guess, but I <laughs> but I wanna ask first. Please guess. I want you to guess. I think it'll be yes! <laughs> guess. I'm curious,
3: <laughs> okay, I want to guess <laughs> okay, so with so with see that and when you're talking about Octavia, like it's really hard for me to not think about like these really like straight lines to me that are super like they are talking about earth seed and' talking um. about this educational thing of how to literally yeah unlearn everything how to do everything in a completely different way that you've been taught and like raised in and just for a background um maybe people don't know who is octavia butler i didn't know until a year ago christopher he's actually the first person to introduce me to octavia and then i've been immersed in the past year literally i think it was july of last year christopher so anyways yeah so um and Octavia is she she was the first like sci-fi writer that was a black person like a black woman and she did like it's insane how much she did in such a short time and she died way too young and she's like there's not enough books i feel like i've read them all and i'm not i want so much more um so basically the one that i'm talking about parable of the sower Mm-hmm. It um is the first of two of a two-part the- uh series, Parable of the Sower and then Parable of the Talents. And Parable of the Sower basically is this very, it's a really, it's a heavy read and it's very parallel to right now, like exactly. what's happening right now. Yeah. Um and there's all kinds of things about like not being able to move outside of specific spaces because, of, mm-hmm. because yeah, you'll, you'll die for very specific reasons. There's so much like confinement and so much like, like your community is getting so small and who you can trust and who you can't and just it's really, really levels on levels. But with at
2: the people. same time, only the communities that are surviving are the ones that stick together, right? And like form rules form and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of um, consist, consensus with, with each other. Um, and I think like that's I think that's design uh, in practice as well. Um, I I love that you mentioned Earth Seed. I I didn't even think about that, but you didn't. <laughs> no. Yes, <I> did. <laughs> so um, this is why I always like to ask people because it's there's different things that pop up. Um, but for me, the name came from um, Seed Data, which is. A term in software engineering where you you essentially give a computer program a database, um, some initial data to work with just to test your program. Um, and I feel like, uh, and and you know, without this data, without this information, without this, this this technology, you can't. It doesn't work, right? You 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 will never know if the program works. Um, and in a lot of ways. Um, I feel that way about Black culture in America, right? I feel like there's, there's so much data in, in Black culture that has, um, that has informed uh, American culture. Um, so that's the first piece. It's short for seed data. Um, but then I also found out about um, this story, uh, or no, this, this actual history, this truth that um, enslaved women actually used to braid seeds into their hair so that when they escape to um, like inform maroon societies, they actually have seeds to, to plant and, and, and survive um, in, in the next space that they're going into. And I, I think um, Octavia Butler, right, planted a seed for us. I think Bell Hooks is planting seeds for us. I think Andre Lort has planted seeds for us. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, uh, uh, knowledge in these resources are seeds that we can kind of organize, uh, towards liberation. Um, and then the other piece is I've been really, really nerding out over fractals. So, and, and when you think about like the seed shape of a fractal is like the first shape from when everything kind of like repeats itself. So, Um, Also thinking about uh, uh, fractals as it relates to curriculum, right, how can we have a seed that's a curriculum or a seed that's a syllabus, and then um, other forms of knowledge are able to branch off from from this one seed uh, and build build a larger structure. Um, So that's kind of where the name came from. It's short for seed data, but it's also really a play on words um, as it relates to nature, technology, Um, liberation, history, all those things.
3: That's super fascinating. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so great. Oh my goodness. No, and that's so useful. Like I'm wondering, I want there to be a way where this can be included into in in curriculums, like in schools now, starting in August and September. Like this is, that's so important. That's so cool. Wow. No oh, that's really great Ayanna. I'm really excited for you. Thank
2: you. Thank
0: yeah. you. And there's something like as we've been talking throughout the sessions Ayanna, it's like you've been really conscious as to how you're embedding information into these objects, right? And to tie back to Butler for a second the parable of the sower, like every chapter was introduced by a parable or a or a, a quote
4: yeah. by one of the
0: main by the main character And Jennifer, like you and I spoke a lot about stories, narratives, uh, myths as carrier waves for information. Mm. If you want something to last and to exist in a culture beyond this moment, you embed it into a story or you embed it into a narrative. And I feel like that that is happening in really different ways in both of your works. And I wondered if either of you can actually talk about that a little bit, or if you're thinking about that as you're developing as you were developing your zines
4: i mean so um yeah so thinking about kind of like mythologies and kind of creating your own mythology just you really are creating your own mythology by the act of self publishing right and so um you're
0: mm-hmm. kind of
4: spreading the story out with the intention of giving it to a broader audience and so um and seeing how that transforms. So, with my thesis exhibition, it was designed in a way where it was intimate. It was kind of creating this very isolated, sacred space. So like, I had a design. So, like, one person was comfortable in there. I mean, it's a large space, but like, one person was allowed to be in there at one time. But, kind of thinking about how I'm shifting that idea and instead of creating an individual experience, creating like a broader, like, community experience. I mean, it's community experience with the dissemination of the object, but it's a very intimate experience by like the handling of that object, right? And so um, the way they're actually like flipping through the pages. And so something that I was kind of having to keep in mind kind of because everything makes sense to me because I lived through it, right? Like I live with it, but coming to somebody who has never once saw the thesis exhibition, read my thesis research, or knows me as a person, let's be real, but um, how can I kind of construct an experience for somebody through the object, through language, and through imagery, right, and so on. Um, something that I really enjoyed about the exercises program was kind of being able to get feedback from our peers, and Ayana was like one of the first people who really challenged me in the program, asking me with my first design of my book, she was like, well, why are, like, she's like, why is your language in the image? She was like, why don't you separate that, and so kind of being able to see how people were responding to it through the workshops and being able to be like, well, I can see how that's working. How can I challenge myself to kind of push that further? And then what is the point of me doing that, right? And so kind of, is the language embedded into the actual image so they're one and the same? Or am I separating text from image? But then kind of, how do you sequence that out through an actual printed object in a way that you're kind of really like controlling how these people are really kind of seeing everything, right, and so on. I'm thinking about the object as part of that narrative. And so um, even kind of like the way that like you see like sequence of like text to, like, text pages to image pages, right? And so um, that's how I kind of see the way I'm handling narrative, not just through language, but through imagery and through the object itself.
2: Yeah, Jennifer, you, it's, it's funny, you said I was the first person to challenge you, but it's like, I feel like you also challenged me in a sense, um, of thinking about actual paper, right? As helping tell the story. Um, and I hadn't considered, uh, this act of folding, right? How, how literally the, 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 the movement of folding and unfolding the paper, um, is, is there, there's something embedded in that action too. Um, and uh, Evian also is one of the artists that was that, that that's in that that was a part of the exercise, um, and she mentioned how it reminded her of a map, right? And and I I started thinking a lot about um, maps and mapping and stories unfolding. But then, uh, Christopher, I love what you said about kind of stories preserving history and 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 preserving culture, um, and in that I'm thinking about oral histories a lot. But I'm also thinking about um, this book I recently read called um, Collective C- Courage, A History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. And in it, it goes through a lot of different examples of mutual aid in the history of mutual aid. Um, and I feel like that's something that we're seeing a lot right now. And um, in every instance of, of, of that, those examples of mutual aid in that book, they talk about study groups. Like they're they're always like this mutual aid group or organization or cooperative um, started in a study group. Uh, so I've been really obsessed with this idea of um, starting in, in crafting spaces in community where it's literally just about exploration. It's literally just about coming together to learn and discuss ideas um, and and. Uh, Using our imagination to think beyond it, but also allowing it to start there into much larger, much larger things like the um, Freedom Quilting Bee um, or or um, like uh, some of the, like the Southern Cooperatives that Fanny, Fanny, um, Fanny Wu Hamer founded. Um, but even in thinking about stories as well, um, I'm thinking a lot about street pedagogy and the ways in which my peers are. Uh, utilizing social media to tell their stories, but also educate um, the community at the same time. Um, and that that has been super inspiring to me because it, I really, really do feel like it's a new media. Like uh, Instagram, right? Social media, Twitter, social media, YouTube, yeah, we still don't know yet, right? But at the end of the day, these platforms were not created for us to be like, for us to be educating each other. That was not the original design intent. Um, so seeing the different ways in which um, folks in my community are um, are teaching each other through storytelling and through, and through social media, which now is turning into educational media has been super, super inspiring to me. Um, and in this particular moment, right, there's a lot of talk about um community police policing right like the community can police itself i really do believe that the, the community can also teach itself um and we've been doing that in a lot of ways throughout history um, and really this this syllabus is just one way for us to hope maybe try to organize it uh, and the last piece about storytelling that i've been thinking a lot about is the archive which is i think what you're hinting towards is like um, keeping a record, or, or how do we record keep um, in ways um, um, that are cultural. And I, the, the inspiration for this also was, I want to be able to look back 100 years from now and, and see an archive of like what our resources were, what were we reading? What questions were we asking? Um, what research projects helped us get towards these questions, right? I wish Octavia Bo- uh, Butler, I wish we had a syllabus that she wrote. <laughs> I wish um, that we could still ask uh, folks like Angela Davis. But it's like there are so many people that I read. Um, and they're, they're um, Toni Morrison, for example, right? I. What if Toni Morrison told us what to read and what questions to ask? Um, so I'm also thinking about the syllabus as um, a living archive for folks to be like, 2020, what, what were they reading? What questions were they asking? And what projects manifested out of that research?
0: That's amazing, Ariana. Um, yeah, but- um, hey, Go ahead.
4: Anyways, but like something that, like I've like just discovered, like, I was able to see your actual syllabus like recently, but um, as an educator myself, and kind of thinking about how I approach education, I think the most important part really is to kind of have these questions, right? And so, mm-hmm. and really questioning where your sources are coming from. And so, what I really do like about your syllabus is the questions that you are putting on there in a way that you are not only just challenging where your sources are coming from, but like, what is the source in you that's making you go to that source, right? And so, um, that's something that like I work with, like I teach art, and so, with my art students, I've talked to them a lot about kind of like, we do like, we like to create these aesthetically using objects but kind of what's the function of this object and kind of where is this, like, where is this intention coming from, right? And so, um, not just about kind of like, it's about grabbing from different sources, but kind of using the sources that have already actually created these ideas and kind of morphing them into a more like contemporary time in a way that it does respond to where we are right now in this current climate. And I think that's kind of something that the, even just the way you design the actual syllabus itself, like you know like I was talking about like I love folding things like the action of actually um like unfolding that object, and so you're actually kind of like you're like this like revealing of that, and it breaks out into a diagram or like a skeletal system of the way that I would approach kind of like constructing a syllabus in one of my college courses
0: actually, that um brings something else that I was thinking um one of the questions I really wanted to ask you and Adriana you as well like we're all educators as well as artists here in this conversation I was curious as to like how you see your role as an educator in the larger uh the larger mode of your of your artistic practice like where does it sit for you how does it intersect with some of your other interests
2: Jennifer, you want to go? I'm still
4: figuring it out. <laughs> um, sure. So you asked about the role of education in our overall yeah, practice. What is
0: the role of educate of? Yeah, education within your mm-hmm. your larger practice as an artist.
4: So um, I am newer to being an educator. I just recently finished my MFA program. I'm now like teaching a very wide range of ages and kind of different levels of understanding or kind of like even like cognitive functionings at all. And so um, I. Th- see myself as kind of an incubator for somebody who's just this, like, discovering these things, right? And so um, how can I not enforce or like, like, in, like force my ideologies into somebody, but how can I kind of guide these people to really discover these things for themselves based off, off of my personal experience, right? And so um, I can show you the tools, but I'm gonna challenge you to see what you're doing with these tools out into a greater cultural context right and so um that's something that I was talking about like i really like about a on a syllabus it's kind of like you're really forcing the person who's actually like doing the worksheet to really question everything and i think that's something we need to do right now and so um something else that like i don't know it was like hito a year and a half it was a hito year and a half ago but kind of like talking like adriana talked a lot about failure a lot right and so kind of being able to have this network or it's like this like net of like allowing these people to fail and then kind of coaching them through it being like no listen it's okay how can you take these pieces of failure and reconstruct them in a way that you can move further and grow beyond that because it's pretty much like how my whole thesis show came about in the first place right like I was at a point of failure and fear but kind of I didn't let that stop me right so like I educated myself I I, I investigated things right and so kind of how can I guide these people in their own personal investigations? I think that's how I handle education. Bam. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's so beautiful. Aw, thanks, homie. <laughs> wow. You know what? Um, no, with both y'all talking about the way that, yeah, the unfolding, the think the way that you're, yeah, using the books in so many different ways, it just really makes me think about how, like, I don't know. I didn't, this didn't hit me until right now, but I feel like With Ayana, when you're talking about everything as, like, unlearning and really, like, starting from, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, you're asking us to start from a completely different, from a completely new platform and really deconstructing that. And Jen, the way that you're talking about, like, the way that, from what I understand so far about unearth and and a lot of, like, the imagery and everything, it makes me just feel like, yeah, burn it all down burn Mm -hmm. it all fucking down that's fucking right like that vibe for me (laughs) and I like how it makes me feel when I'm looking at it in that way that it's like yeah we're talking about this in the art world but also in like in the I mean the art world is just a reflection of everything around us like and especially in the ways that all of us are working in it I mean like yeah burn all these institutions down burn all of it down and start completely over like change everything like change all of it. Um, And back to Octavia, like, change, God is change, all these things about change, Um, totally coming back into it. But no, super, super interesting. I I feel like they actually go really hand-in-hand in in a lot of ways, both of your projects, in a really beautiful way. Um, Like, Jen, yours, I mean, I I haven't fully, like, held the books and seen it in this way, but, like, it just feels like there's, like, such a very, like, I don't know a really poetic way to put visual to that idea. Uh, Yeah, again and starting again, and Mm -hmm. like that's exactly what we need to be thinking on a larger level, and that's really hard for for most people to really come to. And um, I love seeing it in all these different forms. So that's so cool.
2: Yeah, some a phrase that um, I heard was last week forgetting where I heard it from, but, um, dismantle with care, um, really has been on my heart lately. And it's, I I feel like kind of what, what you were saying, like me and Jennifer's, uh, work is about like, okay, let's, let's dial it all the way back. Right. Um, and, and, and and build from there. Um, but how, how does, how does education, uh, how do I see education in my practice? Well, what y'all are saying about kind of, uh, right, deconstructing it all, dismantling it all, right? Um, I'm thinking also about Audre Lorde, right? You can't can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools, right? I definitely do think that like another reason why I knew I needed to build this syllabus because I kept thinking about going back to school, going back to school, but then I remember how traumatizing university spaces have been for me in the past and Uh, and my peers so I was like okay how do we uh, build um, institutions of knowledge outside of institutions Uh, and for me the syllabus and thinking about street pedagogy is a way of doing that right like how can I'm thinking a lot about ways how can a hashtag be um, a curriculum how can that build curriculum how can that be an institution itself Um, how can we uh, create videos that are on like some cloud that we own, and we actually deploy them in libraries, right? And, and use existing public infrastructure as our, our, as our schools of tomorrow, right? We, we already are seeing how um, schools are really having to adapt right now, and going back to Octavia Butler, that word adapt, uh, how can we create new educational models um, that, that, that can be as adaptive, um, as our times are, uh, so right now for education, for me and my practice is I'm, I'm still teaching. So I'm still teaching software engineering, but I do dream of, um, actually, uh, teaching outside, um, of, of like a school context and thinking about, okay, how can we teach online and deploy that in libraries? How can we teach online and deploy that, That's even um, how can, uh, like, we print more zines as, tex- as textbooks. Um, and I've also been thinking a lot about um, creating a more embodied relationship with technology. Um, so I've been educating myself on that. Uh, I feel like we're, we've been behind screens a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, not re- in recent years, but especially in recent months. Um, and when I'm, when I'm coding and when I'm teaching folks how to code, I always kind of resent the, the, the barrier between it. So I'm wondering, okay, how can we do things like I've been looking at research of, of, of encoding DNA into plants. I mean, encoding data into the DNA of plants, um, things like that. How do we merge technology with the, the world around us? So that's an, that's an educational thing that I'm going through right now and something I hope to teach and, and I- expand my current practice of, of teaching software engineer through um, creating a more like somatic pedagogy, a more somatic relationship to, to the technology that we spend so much time with. That's excellent.
0: Um, Thank you. Oh,
4: um,
3: I can answer that too yeah um, <laughs> um I feel like how I'm using education is definitely through the avenue of homie house press um it's 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 a space that like that me and my partner started because we felt that there was so much that so much there was so much wrong with the way that we were taught journalism with the way we were taught photography um and so and there was so much wrong with with the fact that we couldn't navigate these spaces, being the people that we are, being Latinx, being all the intersections of us. Like we just felt like we couldn't function in these spaces, and we needed a completely different guide for it. And um, yeah, as photographers, as artists, it just um, it it became completely like it was absolutely necessary. Only house like it is it is really like a space that we use to experiment and in doing that we're teaching ourselves what like how to use photojournalism for like restorative things and for restorative justice and um and it is like something that because it is so different and because there isn't a platform like this for photography that we've that i mean it's a a necessary space and that once we started it, it's like oh my goodness there's so many people that need this since there isn't anything like it, we're like, we're so much learning from each other and learning from our collaborators and learning from like everyone around us about how we dismantle the image and how we, yeah, how we do this in a much more personal way, how we do this in a way that is safe for everyone. Um, and so, yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, Homie House for me is, um, is is my most like utopic space and yeah i mean utopic spaces to me have so much to do with the most utopic spaces to me are educational and i feel like classrooms should be utopias and most of them are i feel like Um, i feel like that's one of the true places where utopia still exists in classrooms um, and because Homie House doesn't have, I mean, I'm the president, so because I'm the president, like we're starting from new. Like we already, we burned it down. We burned it all the way down. Like we already burned it and we unearthed it three years ago and we're still out here. We're figuring it out. We're doing so much wrong, but we're like figuring it out. So like we don't we don't have to start, like we don't have to like be like, oh, but this institution has like has it's still all these white boys with cameras. Like, no, not in Homey House Press. There's not. (laughs) Like we're starting completely over already. Like the center has been moved. The center is no longer like the mainstream. Center is me. The center is people that look and sound and act and live their lives and experiences like a queer Latinx femme. Um, so like it's it all branches from there. And to me, like, yeah, education is like, it's, it's become a thing where I feel like within Homie House, I'm not even interested in, like, in making art or in making a project if it's not, if it's not doing it within community. And when you do it with someone else, you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be learning from each other. And it's always, yeah, it's definitely like stepping away from doing things um, as, oh, like, as Wait, yeah, we all know, well, maybe we don't all know, but photographers are, like, seen as gods. I feel like they always have been. Like, they, I mean, they, and they do things so alone. It's so, like, like it's a very, like, solitary art where at Homey House Press, we don't do anything alone um, at all, ever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I feel like we're constantly learning from each other and from our collaborators. And, yeah, I, I love that. It's, I love that question. And, yeah, it's really a part of everything
0: awesome thank you um all right so from, from here uh i'm in my role as timekeeper and we are going to open this up to some audience questions and before we do so i just wanted to say thank you all for for adriana ayana and jennifer for making space in your practices in very different ways um It's just been really wonderful to hear you talk more about your work and how you're approaching things. Um, So from here, I am gonna be opening this up again to audience questions. If you have a question for anyone here, please type it into the chat um, and I'll read it out. Our first question is actually from Adam Griffiths, who was our first mentor. So, hey, Adam, thanks for for asking. Um, This is for Ayana, And Adam says, now that you've created the syllabus, and as you've said, Given the current political climate, where do you see the syllabus being distributed?
2: Thanks, Adam, what up, what up? So I, I first want to shout out Erica, Erica from Ipsy Bipsy Studio. I don't know if that's the Erica in the chat that's that's commenting, but um, she gracious, graciously printed these, worked with me throughout the whole entire process. It was my first time doing ResoGraph, so I really wanted to shout out um, Erica Ipsy Bipsy. Um, and so, Adam, to answer your question, my dream is that these would be distributed in public libraries all across the country? Um, but for now, I'm I'm looking. I'm doing my research for a few. Um, I was looking at um, is it brown brown recluse distro? Um, I, w- I was looking at them. So there's other there's like shops and stuff I wanna I wanna look at. But because we're not we can't it's not safe to go into shops. Um like I'm also thinking about how how I do this online. So currently online, but um I would love for these to just be like printed on newsprint and, and like there's some sort of installation in local libraries um to start.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And actually before we jump to the next question, Jennifer, I'm gonna bounce this to you as well. Like now that you have these two zines or the third one coming. Uh, how do you see distribution of this working, or like, who would you like to see? Like, what communities would you like to engage with? with that work?
4: The first, based that question, I was like, "That's a good question," because there aren't any fairs in the coming future, and so um, which is a, really a lot of how I was actually distrib- distributing myself. So um, or who my audience kind of anybody who's really kind of finds himself in a place where they kind of need to kind of move on to a next state, right? And so um, just because I talk about these objects as guides, kind of not only, it's not just like a guide where you're like reading text and kind of, I'm not giving them like A, B, C, I'm not giving them the answers. I'm kind of giving them this space where they kind of are allowed to contemplate themselves, right, so kind of an audience where they kind of do see themselves needing a challenge. And so because like these objects, like I, went through this challenge through grad school and like I had to go through this really weird phase where I was like just looking at so much stuff and everything so I was able to break down all that information I was going through and kind of just like put it into a way where it's more open-ended to somebody right and so kind of anybody who's really just like looking to enter into this investigation like I was and then anybody who kind of sits here and it like the third book hasn't actually been produced yet, but the third book is all about the function of objects. And so um, anybody who thinks about the materiality of objects, because that's a lot of my practice, is thinking about the function, recycling, and materiality of not just, like, found upcycled objects, but objects are actually kind of being created in this place of ritual practice. And so um, those are the people I'm looking for. Or any type of solid homie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, thank you. Okay, so the next question is from Christopher Addison. Um, this is for Ayana. Butler would have loved the idea that your syllabus moves forward her concepts of seeds. Wondering how the educational aspect of this relates to vulnerable communities of young people who are homeless, trafficked, and at risk with limited electronic slash digital access.
2: Oh, I love this question. Okay, so I've been thinking so much about um so my my research i've been doing a lot of thinking about street pedagogy and how a lot of that currently is happening on social media um and thinking about how a lot of our organizing in general is happening on social media and i've been to so many like really 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 um like revolutionary and inspiring workshops on zoom lately and uh I think a lot of folks in my community, like we're seeing this, but then also we know surveillance capital, capitalism is real. Like we know that our data is being mined on Instagram, um, like for not, not like not for ways that, that are, um, that are, that are helpful or, or in service of liberation at all. So, um, I'm always, I'm always battling with, um, how we organize our learning outside of institutions. Um, and I think this also addresses folks with uh, limited electronical, uh, electronic and digital access. So for me, the, the answer, or not the answer, but something, a thread I really want to investigate more is zines, right? Is this idea of just like independently publishing zines, low cost DIY zines as textbooks, as guides, kind of like Jennifer saying, right? As worksheets. As history books, you know as as just uh as maybe secret codes that we have to figure out together like that just as spaces um that are offline uh, and super super accessible i and can act as act as portals in a way like i I, I view the I'm starting to come around to, to zines as classrooms and I love Adriana, what you said earlier about like classrooms being like the last utopic frontier, like that, (laughs) that I felt that, you know? So how can in this moment where we can't get together in a classroom per se, how can zines also act as that?
0: Well, thank you. Um, We're gonna quickly jump over to, to Jen with a question from Katana, another GMU alum. Uh, do you find that the zine format holds or creates a sacred space? I'm curious about the function of the object itself as a three-part series in relationship to the ritual practices you mentioned before.
4: Hi, Katana. <laughs> but um, thank you for that question, Katana. So um, the way that I'm treating the thesis exhibition, and I think as somebody who actually saw the thesis exhibition, is um, what I mentioned before was kind of, opening up the sacred space to a more disseminated, a broader audience. So kind of being able to kind of give this information that I have acquired out to the mass population, because I think that knowledge should be shared. It shouldn't just be locked away. And I think it's something that really has developed a lot as a culture, especially recently, kind of like, sure there are these secrets and I embed these secrets into each of these objects, but the mystery is kind of what kind of hooks somebody, right? So kind of like the mystery that I'm putting into this object is infusing the sense of questioning or inquiry, right? And so um, that's how I see the function of the zine and self-publication in relationship to sacred spaces. So um, I'm opening up the sacred space to everybody just because I want to share what I have learned with with a broader audience, right? And so um, in regards to the three-part series and something that I believe I've talked to Katana about before is kind of I'm breaking it down into a sequence of three because a rite of passage comes in three stages and so I'm reflecting the actual structure of a rite of passage in the way that I'm actually producing these objects and so on um, I am creating a series of three zines but I also plan on doing a series of artist books where there's actually all three zines to be bound into one book object and so on just kind of being able to show the stages individually and separately, but then kind of coming together into a more fine art object, which is a book object. And so kind of, I'm then coming back to this idea of like the sacredness with the artist book edition, I guess, we haven't gotten that far yet. I'm still working on the third book.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, next question is from Vincenzo and this is for Ayana. Have you filled out your own syllabus? If yes, where did you plant your seed?
2: Um yeah, so I <laughs> I created this two years ago. So I have so many of <laughs> these that I filled out. Um but the one that I've filled out most recently, I can actually, what's the what's the exact title? Um Embodied engagement with technology and living systems. Uh, my research question is how should we experiment with creating a more embodied engagement with tech possibilities through craft? So um, that's the, the intersection of craft and technology is kind of where I'm planting my, my seed right now. I've been thinking a lot about um, that relationship and how right now it's, we're not engaging uh, technology and, and nature. Um, or technology in our hands at all right now, or our bodies. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about with the given research and possibilities, since we can put data into the DNA of plants, we've done it before. What does it look like when we create, when, when like server farms are just forests, right? What, what would it mean for us to be able to code via a weaving loom, right? Code started on the weaving loom. How can we draw that, take that full circle and maybe somehow weave and code at the same time, maybe the warp and the wep is a keyboard. I don't know what that looks like, but um, I've been thinking a lot about and trying to find books that talk about ways in which we can have a more embodied relationship um, to technology, because I feel like that's that's where we find ourselves. And I think that's where we'll find ourselves um, now and beyond. Uh, But the way in which we're engaging with it, it's very kind of like disembodied. So I've been thinking a lot about that.
0: Excellent, thank you. Um, See, one more question, and we'll make this the uh, last question from, or for the session, from Darietta. And this is to the group from an old guy. There's an old saying from Funkadelic, free your mind and your ass will follow. The pandemic has set a precedent in quasi removing the worry quotient from people's lives Has given rise to more creative thought. What are your thoughts on current think tank structures, and do you see an an opportunity to advance the current models? Additionally, how can we integrate into HBCU environments?
2: Okay, so this is my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So okay, what what is the the thoughts on think tank structure? So I think. Just as we talked about earlier, uh, I think study groups are think tanks. I think what's happening on Instagram is a think tank. Um, when we, we when someone's on IG Live and everyone's able to like live comment, I think what's happening on TikTok is like a community tick tank. Think tank. I don't know if y'all have seen the political TikToks, but they're amazing, uh, and I'm super inspired by them. How can we uh, integrate into HBCU environment? So again, I think. Um, I I, I think if we start to create our own syllabi outside of institutions and we get very, very clear on what we want to research as individuals outside of institutions, then we can think about how we can demand resources for this research, right? Because right now, um, I feel like in in, in universities, uh, they kind of direct the research and the questions that we're going to ask and the route in which we're going to ask those questions. But I'm very interested in HBCUs, Um, being, being a place of being just an imaginative place where we create the questions, right? Where we come up with the syllabi and the curriculum, and then we let them know, and this is every institution, how much money we need, when we need that money, when we need that support, when we need that classroom space, when we need that exhibition or gallery space or, or, um, or theater hall, right? Like who we want to teach us. Right. Um I so I think that's how institutions can can start uh partnering with, with folks who are uh either teaching artists or already doing open education outside of institutions.
0: Cool. Thank you, Ayanna. And Jennifer, do you have something to add?
4: Um well that was a really good answer. I would pretty much say the same thing, but um something that I really respond to and especially like the way that like Ayana you're really pulling like if you were to go through like our like E17 Google Drive you have the most stuff in your Google Drive right and so kind of being able to see the worth of knowledge coming from these different sources right and so you talk about TikTok Instagram like a lot of these educators like they have more freedom to speak on social media than they do their own institutions and so kind of like how can we kind of allow this freedom and freedom of expression to come into a more formal structure and then kind of in what ways can we organize that? And so action is being done and it's not just talk, right? And so kind of Mm -hmm. instead of being stuck by these caution tapes or these red lines, like how can we kind of erase those lines so that real change can happen? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that you can see a lot with self-publishing too. Like you're taking action to do something. Like we all just need to start doing stuff.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And with that, I think we are going to wrap up. I just wanted to say thank you again to Ayana and Jennifer and Adriana for participating in this. Um, One of the things that I've really missed about not meeting regularly with E17, as we did for so many weeks, is just how like supercharged I feel after our regular meetings. And I feel like that's continued here. I've just been jotting down notes as you've all been ta- uh, talking, so thank you. Um, for everyone who's in the audience, I want to make sure that you know that we are going to be doing this again in one week's time. Uh, six o'clock, we'll be talking with Athena Naylor and with Late Comeback Press, so please join us next week for another conversation and another reveal of some amazing zines. Um, all of these zines will also be at Transformer, And I'll let Katie from Transformer talk about how you can order them from the FlyPile program.
1: Hi. Uh, Yeah, once again, thank you uh, for everyone for joining. Um, And especially thank you to Ayana, Jennifer, Adriana, and Christopher for um, such an amazing discussion. Um, I agree with you, Christopher, how um, I definitely miss feeling very inspired and charged from these meetings. Um, So it's great to have this back. Um, as for the flat files, uh, everyone's zines will be available starting August 1st um, and you can just go to flatfile.transformerdc.com um, and you can either individually purchase uh, the zines or you can purchase them as a bundle. So,
0: yeah. As one last reminder, this conversation will eventually make it to the Paper Cuts podcast once Jennifer and I get the work done to edit it all down and you can Follow us on uh, Stitcher or Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Otherwise, thank you so much to everyone. This was really wonderful.
2: Thanks, y'all.
0: It was so much fun. Thank Thank you. you. So, where's the after party, guys?
4: Find us on the pod, apparently.
2: The meeting rooms now. What do we do <laughs> <I know>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> next week? I want transformer specific like cocktail menus for everyone. so next
3: week is Athena and
0: welcome back. back. Rock Night Carol.
2: Oh,
0: you oh. a wild. Are they both here? Rock I see Rafa
3: and Athena. <laughs> I see them still. <laughs> yeah, still here.
0: We're still recording. There's going to be a here. mini preview.
4: The bloopers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so many episodes for our uh, few people that are still. still
2: We've got a, a preview of your, of your camera on your TV. Yeah. A preview from the outside,
4: not from looking through the lens.
1: Right. Oh, right. Uh, Exciting. That's for you. That's for very obsessed. <laughs> I, have, I have to show them. <laughs>